frankly, this is my favorite Chris, uh, Christian holiday is Easter because Christmas would mean nothing without the empty tomb. Um, Paul tells us that without the resurrection, that we are fools to believe in Jesus Christ. But because of the resurrection, we have hope beyond the grave. So we're finishing our series called Why Did Jesus? And um, we looked uh, four weeks ago, we looked at why did Jesus live? We looked last uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we looked at why did Jesus die? Last week, we looked at why did Jesus rise? And today, I just want to finish this, wrap this up with there has to be an explanation. I can't see y'all over there. Hi. Good to see y'all. Got to have the whites and Stacy over there. All right. So <clears throat> today we're looking at there has to be an explanation for the empty tomb. And hopefully by the time we finish with this, you'll you'll have some thoughts and we want to challenge you to uh, to really pursue this further. Um, there was a college professor who once was talking about history and he was talking about the historical figure of Jesus, came across the life of Jesus. Here's what he said. Around 25 AD, a teacher named Jesus of Nazareth came on the scene during a time of political unrest. His teachings caused a great deal of controversy. He gathered a few followers. He was eventually arrested by the Romans and put to death for the trouble he caused in that community. After his death, several followers went to different regions and spread his teaching. The end. And he didn't allow any questions and he just went on to the next historical figure. And I'm going, whoa, 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 time out. No questions. I got some questions for you. Because if that was the end, how do you explain that in the year 2014, half of the world believes that the tomb was empty, but they also believe that Jesus is the son of God and he rose from the dead. How do you, how do you explain 2,000 years since that Christianity has spread like crazy. How do you explain that? How do you explain that billions of dollars are given to churches every year so that they can spread the message of Jesus around their communities and around the nation? How do you explain the hundreds of thousands of hours given every week around the globe in churches so that they can do church? We have people that are back in the children's area. They sacrifice time in here so that they can go back there and love on your children and tell them about Christ. How do you explain that if Jesus is still in the tomb? Uh, all over the world today, churches are packed with people who believe that the tomb is empty because Jesus resurrected from the dead. How do you explain that? How do you explain the shift from thousands of years of worship on Saturday, the Sabbath day, to worship on Sunday because they were celebrating resurrection day? How do you make that? How do you explain that if Jesus is still in the tomb or if he was just a good teacher? How do you explain the fact that the calendar is split into BC before Christ? And AD, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, how do you explain that if Jesus is still in the tomb? You can't. If what Jesus taught was not accurate, then you can't say he's a good teacher. Because here's what he taught. He taught that he was God. He taught that he was going to come and die for the sins of the world. And he taught that he was going to rise again on the third day. If those things aren't accurate, he's not a good teacher. Right? So you can't say he's a good teacher. Did he have just great followers? We talked about this a little bit last week. Was it just because his followers were so devoted to his teaching? No, no, because when he was crucified, his followers ran and hid in fear. They didn't do anything. They thought the whole thing was over after he died. So he didn't have great followers who cared, carried on his mission. They quit. So what was it that happened that changed them? Because where this happened was in Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified just outside of Jerusalem. The most Jewish city in the history of the world. And, and thousands and thousands of Jews became Christ followers. Do you know why? Because the tomb was empty. But not just because the tomb was empty. 
is because hundreds of people were running around Jerusalem saying, Jesus is alive. We've seen him. Jesus is alive. He meant it when he said he was going to die for the sins of the world. He meant it when he said he was the savior of the world. And they all went to their graves believing that Jesus was the Messiah. And people said, if anybody can rise from the dead, I'm with him. See, too many history professors just kind of speed over the life of Jesus and go to the next historical figure because they can't explain what happened. They can't explain the phenomenon that's been going on for 2,000 years. And, you know, I think about this when we go to Haiti every year. Every year, we have airplanes filled, I mean, to capacity. There's no other, uh, no, there's no other seats on any of the flights that we go to Haiti. And one of the things they'll say is we'd like to welcome all of you missionaries from America to Haiti. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And, and what would possess otherwise normal people to pay $1,500 of their own money to take vacation days to go to Haiti to serve in a place where we, where we're building this church and school. There's no running water, which means no flushing toilets, which means outhouses like you've never seen before. And well, I won't even go into what happened to me last year. Um, I had some stomach issues last year, um, blessing upon blessing of the Lord. What would possess people to do this? Because the Haitians ask all the time, they say, why would you do this? Why would you pay money? Why would you take vacation? Why would you come over here to help a country that was devastated long before the earthquake hit? The earthquake just brought it to our attention. Why would people do that? Because Jesus had good teaching. Please, you've heard good teaching and you've gone to the restaurant and forgotten everything that was said. All right. I'm not talking about here. Somewhere else you heard good teaching and you forgot it all. And and (laughs) that hasn't motivated you to lay down your life for a cause, has it? Good teaching? That won't do it. It didn't motivate them either. Can we really buy what this professor was saying that around 25 to 30 AD, Jesus, blah, 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 the end? Can we buy that? Because lots of stuff is happening. And and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all knew that, that what people were saying at that time didn't meet the facts, didn't match up. And so they started writing things down. And I know there's some skeptics here today. We welcome skeptics at our church. In fact, we started our church for skeptics. So if you have questions, we welcome them here. I've been in churches where they say, don't ask those questions, just have enough faith. We're not one of those churches. Ask your questions. We love questions. We, we are here. Our stated mission is to reach people who are far from God, help them connect with God and with other people. And so we, we love questions. But I'm just going to challenge you today. If you're going to dismiss Jesus, at least know the facts about him first. Um, In Matthew chapter 27, we come across the resurrection story and the very first attempt by people to explain away the empty tomb. And by the way, you can follow the verses up here on the screen if you have your smartphone and you have the U version, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. If you have that downloaded, the notes are on there as well. It's kind of cool because it has a link and you can read the verses uh, in their context. But this is the very first explanation. It's going to take us a little while to get there of why the tomb was empty. So starting in Matthew 27, verse 57. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea, who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of a rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Both Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting across from the tomb and watching. 
Now, normally a crucified person, they're criminals, and so they they uh, are enemies of the state. Normally their bodies are taken down and thrown in a mass grave, like in a big pit or, you know, just in, in some place where there's a whole bunch of bodies. But not in this case, because a very wealthy man named Joseph... Uh, wealthy people were able to buy their own tombs, and a lot of times what they do, they'd either get a cave or they would they would hire someone to carve out this nice big um, tomb out of solid rock. When they got it big enough to put the body in there, they would have this huge like millstone. If you can imagine that that video kind of got the the edge of the rock as it was being stone as it was being rolled away, and and what they would do is they would roll it up, so it it'd be this massive effort where they rolled it kind of a little bit uphill. They would stick a block or something underneath it so that when the person died and they were finished with the funeral, they would lay the body in, they would take the little block and it would roll into place and not just one or two people could remove the stone. So Joseph takes Jesus' body, lays it in there, they remove the, the little stopper and it rolls down into place. Mary and Mary were there to see it. Uh, verse 62, the next day on the Sabbath, the leading priests and the Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, sir, we remember what that deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days, I will rise from the dead. Now, isn't it interesting that unbelievers remembered that Jesus predicted he would rise from the dead, but the believers forgot. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent his disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we'll be worse off than we were at first. So the same guys who demanded the crucifixion now come to Pilate privately on a Sabbath, which was probably against the law, and they ask for a favor. And um, they have these suspicions that something might happen because Jesus predicted it, and they said it's going to be worse off than at first if this guy, if rumors of this guy's resurrection get out, we're in trouble. So let's fix this. Verse 65 and 66. Pilate replied, take guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Now, Pilate agreed with their suggestion. Hey, this is a pretty good idea. And so they send, um, they seal the tomb and we we're assuming, we don't know exactly, we're assuming it was a Roman seal, which would have been a cord that they wrapped all the way around the big stone. And then they would put wax on it over the cord so that it would seal to the tomb. And you would know, you would be, it would be very obvious if someone had tampered with the stone. And the, then he sends guards. And the fact that there are guards there actually makes it impossible to steal the body. And now, is Isn't this ironic? Jesus is the only person in history that people went so much trouble to guard his grave so that he didn't come out. Right? Okay. Just just want you to get to that. Uh, Chapter 28, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, went out to visit the tomb. Now, in another version, it tells us as that as they're going, they're saying, who is going to roll the stone away? Because this is a massive stone. Doesn't tell us here, but they were going out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. Now, when they got there, the stone wasn't in its closed position. It was back up in its pre-burial position up on the little rise up on the hill. And it was wide open so that everybody could see. And we said that the stones were too big for one or two people to remove. Estimates are, archaeologists have estimated what this would have weighed. The stone was probably 1.5 to 2 
tons. So one or two dudes aren't going to go flick the stone out of the way and steal the body. Just not going to happen. Someone or something with undeniable power rolls the stone away. And by the way, the seal is still intact, which is kind of supernatural in itself. Now look at the next verse. Verse 3. His face, the the angel's face, his face shone like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women quickly ran from the tomb. They were frightened, but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. As they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him, grasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. As the women were on their way, here's the, here's the, where the plot thickens. Here's where we get the first explanation for the empty tomb. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. Now, here's the problem with that. Stories from this time in history tell us that Roman soldiers, Roman centurions, that's somebody who had a hundred soldiers under their charge, the centurions were ruthless. And if they came upon a sleeping soldier, they would take their torch and light his body on fire for falling asleep at the post. How many of you served in the military? Let me see your hands. Anybody military? What would happen if you were to fall asleep when you're supposed to be on duty? Is it a pretty thing? No. So this idea that the soldiers were asleep, that's kind of a laughable idea. But wait, there's more. While the soldiers slept, some men came and removed a seal, a one and a half ton boulder, a body. And oh yes, they stopped and they neatly folded all of his grave clothes and put them down before they took the body out. Right? This is what the the Romans and the Jews want you to believe. That's cray cray. (laughs) If you're on a jury and some dude's up there going... Telling you this story, are you buying it? I'm not, because I know too much of the Romans and what they did. But here, that's not even the point. It's not even the point. The main point is the body's gone. And nobody knows where it is. And they have to explain it. And this is the best that they could come up with. And the guards, the guards are thinking, there's no amount of money in the world going to make me say that. So look what happens next. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. (laughs) Okay. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. Now, still tell it today means 20 to 25 years later when this stuff is being written down. This story was still circulating. Uh, And when the folks started thinking, well, what if he doesn't come back in our lifetime? They started writing down all the stories. We better write this stuff down. We have four different accounts of Jesus' life and death. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew wrote for the Jews. Uh, Mark wrote for Gentiles, uh, for Christians. Um, Luke wrote for the Gentiles. And then John gives us this incredible thing where he gives us seven signs that Jesus is the Messiah. And um, (laughs) I was thinking about this. And how many of y'all have seen the movie The Help? Okay. One of my favorite scenes in, in the movie, in the help is when, when, um, Minnie explains everything that's happened. She said, this is our insurance. You know, we're going to make sure cause Hilly going to go to her grave telling people it's not 
Jackson, Jackson, Mississippi. So they flash to the scene and all of her friends are sitting around. They're talking. They're having this big time. They're saying, doesn't that sound like you? Doesn't it? And, and, uh, Hilly goes, this is not about Jackson. Right? Y'all remember that? Nobody else got that. This is one of my favorite parts. This is not about Jackson. And she keeps telling this is not about Jackson. All right. As if she said it enough, people would believe it's not about Jackson. That's what these guys did for 20 to 25 years. He was not resurrected. His disciples stole the body, right? They keep saying it over and over. He was not resurrected. Okay, as if they kept saying it, people would believe it. But here's the crazy thing. Now, Christianity didn't start someplace far away from his crucifixion and resurrection. Christianity started in Jerusalem. Thank you, man. I didn't know what you were coming up here for. I was in Borger at my parents' house a couple weeks ago, and phone rings, and it says, Ernie... And I thought, hmm. I answered and Ernie goes, hey man, I just called to tell you I love you. And I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, I love you too. So I thought maybe he's coming up here to tell me he loved me or something. All right, thank you. I guess you did, man. You brought me, you brought me. All right. People listen to this later. They're going to say, what in the world? You have to be here. We do all kinds of stuff live. <clears throat> Where was I? Everybody's saying the tomb is empty. And this story that his disciples stole the body, nobody was going to buy that stuff because it happened in Jerusalem. Now, had the tomb not been empty, what would they have done? They would have come out, they would have found the body, and they would have produced the body, and it would have killed Christianity immediately. But that didn't happen. Now, here's the really crazy thing. Historians and archaeologists tell us that about this time, Jerusalem had probably 250,000 people, citizens, living there. And within 20 years of Jesus' resurrection, half of Jerusalem had become Christians. So they didn't buy the explanation either that his disciples stole the body. There were too many people living who could say, we saw him. So, and, and, and so the, the, the story, his disciples stole a body, didn't match the facts back then. It doesn't explain what's happened 2,000 years since then. But let me just give you four real quick things. Four empty tomb theories that have been proposed through the years. First is the wrong tomb. This one is hilarious to me because this is what they say. The women who reported the missing body went to the wrong tomb, which means that the disciples went to the wrong tomb, which means that the guards were guarding the wrong tomb. All right. Do you see how crazy it's like the Keystone cops? We don't know. It's like Obamacare. Um, I don't know. Sorry. 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 It's like, we don't know where the body is, so we're just going to make up a story. But if the women and disciples and everybody had gone to the wrong tomb, they would have figured out where the wrong tomb was. They would hold up a body. Christianity dies. Second, maybe those who claim to have seen the risen Jesus were hallucinating. Okay. Now, I've actually heard psychologists debate this. And they said, in order for somebody to have a mass hallucination, so let, if we were going to pretend to have a mass hallucination today... We would all at least have to be thinking about the same thing, right? And so we would, you know, I don't know, we'd give you drugs or something and we would suggest stuff and we may put some stuff up here, try to, try to brainwash you and then into believing that you see an apparition or something. Here's the problem. None of Jesus followers expected to ever see him again. They weren't looking for a resurrected Jesus. So to say they were all hallucinating 
thinking the same thing when they weren't even looking for Jesus, that, that doesn't even make sense. And again, Roman authorities go get the body, it kills Christianity. Third, now I put this in here, Jesus swooned. Now it really means fainted, but, but you know, you know what an educator does? An educator takes a simple idea and makes it complex. A teacher takes a a complicated idea and makes it simple. So educators named it the swoon theory. And the theory is that Jesus lost so much blood, he was beaten so badly, he was nailed to a cross, he was pierced with a sword, it went all the way up and and poked into his 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 heart. And, And so just all of that fact, he fainted. And then they put him in a cold, dark tomb and it revived him. That defies medical science. That Jesus could survive all of that stuff and then lay in a tomb for three days and then, oh, oh, and then he's going to get up and he's single-handedly going to remove the stone, overpower the guards, and then show up to his disciples and say, I'm God's son. And they're going to say, you need a doctor. Right? Because he was beaten within an inch of his life. So again, that's just kind of foolish. And then the last one we already talked about, it's the stolen body theory. Now, what do you think about this? Jesus' disciples fled in fear. They hid until after the resurrection because they thought they were going to die next. They thought the whole story was over. So why would these men who were so cowardly on the night that Jesus was arrested and then when he was crucified, why would they suddenly show up and try to fight Roman soldiers? Peter swung a sword. I think he was going for the guy's head and he got his ear. That's how good a fisherman swings a sword. Why would, why would they try to steal the body? Because everybody was against them. They had no reason to try to steal the body. And every one of them was persecuted, tortured, and eventually killed, believing that Jesus is alive. They just, they wouldn't do that. They wouldn't fabricate a lie. I think somebody would have cracked because every conceivable method by the Jews and the Romans was used to make sure that Jesus' body didn't come out of the tomb. And, and see, I just don't think this, the conspiracy theory, I don't think these 12 guys or 11 at that time could have kept this story going because you remember Richard Nixon? Most powerful man in the world at the time, they couldn't even keep their little story under wraps for a few weeks. Watergate. As soon as people started talking, they cracked. They're like, I'm not going down for my leader. This is what we did. But none of the disciples ever cracked. Because when you see a dead man walking, you will turn your back on everything you've believed before and you'll say, I'm with him. I can't unsee what I've seen. I can't unhear what I've heard. Everyone knew the tomb was empty. And the the stolen body theory, that's the best thing they could come up with. Now, I've heard people say, well, I'm not going to believe Jesus rose from the dead unless you can prove it scientifically. Did you know that nothing we do in a court of law generally has to do with recreating an event scientifically. Because to recreate it, you got to be able to duplicate it over and over and over again. Things that happen in history, you can't go back 2,000 years and redo it, except on the movies, right? Um, the X-Men are now going to go back in history or something. I saw that. That's coming up May 23rd or something. So I, I don't even understand that concept. But we can't go back in history and recreate it. What we do in a court of law is if we have witnesses, we call witnesses. And and they they give their story. And, and if we have one eyewitness that somebody committed a crime, what's going to happen to the person accused of the crime? They're going down. If we have two eyewitnesses that the same person committed the crime, what's going to happen to them? 
That's a slam dunk. Paul tells us that 500 people saw Jesus alive at the same time. Let's just say we're going to have a trial and we're going to line up all 500 people and we're going to, we're going to give each of them only 10 minutes to tell us about what they saw of Jesus alive. We're not going to take any breaks. All right. We're not going to get a bathroom break. We're not going to get to eat. We're not going to get to sleep. We're not going to get on Facebook. We're not going to get to text. And I know some of you couldn't handle that, but if we started now and went straight through 500 witnesses, we would have continuous testimony until Wednesday right before youth group is supposed to start. 83.5 hours of testimony that what? Jesus is alive. If we had 500 witnesses to someone committing a crime, do you think we could prosecute that person? 500 people at the same time saw Jesus and they went to their graves believing that Jesus is alive. Now, I know, I know some of you here are saying, well, we kind of suspect this thing is true, but we're not sure. And because if someone did live a sinless life, die on the cross for the sins of the world, rise again from the third day, that's something only God could pull off, right? But I just don't want to think about it right now. Maybe later in life, I'll think about it. Well, let me ask you this. How many times have you heard someone say, man, I'm glad I didn't go to the doctor until it was too late. Dude, I'm, it's awesome. I'm a goner and I didn't know that tomorrow I'm going to die. I'm so glad. How many times you heard that? How many times have you heard they caught it early and I think I'm going to survive. I'm so glad I went to the doctor. See, I've never heard someone say, man, it's awesome that I ruined my life before I came to Christ. I mean, I'm the, I'm the bottom of the barrel loser. It's awesome. My testimony's great. I'm so glad I put off Jesus. You know what people tell me? People who have ruined their lives. People that I sit across... At jails, you know what they tell me? I wish somebody told me sooner. I wish I'd have paid attention to this story sooner because I've destroyed my life. And my message to them is this. You're not what your past says you are. You do not have to be defined by the mistakes that you made. You are defined as a child of God. And He has great things for your future. So God's not worried about your past. He's going to use your past to help you bring someone else to Christ. God's worried about right now. Don't miss your future. So would you bow your heads for just a moment? I just want you to think about this. Something happened 2,000 years ago. And you've got to be able to explain it. Christians believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And I don't want you to miss out on this. We started this church because we believe if one person dies and goes to hell, that's one person too many. So we want to tell people about Christ as long as there's breath in our bodies and we will go to our graves believing that Jesus is alive. 
How do you explain these people that were baptized today if Jesus isn't real? How do you explain the life change that's happened in so many people who have come to Jesus if he's still in the grave? There has to be an explanation, and we believe it's Jesus. If you've never asked Christ to come into your heart, I just want to challenge you right now to pray this. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So the way we say it around here is, we ask Jesus to be the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our life. So you just pray this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I accept his payment. God, as best I know how, I give you my life. And I accept your life in return. If you just prayed that, the Bible says that that you have been adopted into God's family. I want you to be sure and write that on your card in a minute because we want to talk to you about what happens next and how you grow spiritually. I want to challenge you to leave this place today and tell someone that Jesus is alive and that He's made a difference in your life. Father, we just want to give you this time and we want to thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that the tomb is empty and the reason it's empty is because Jesus is alive. We pray this in His name. Amen.